0: Well, when I was a junior in college, uh, four college buddies and I decided that for our spring break, we wanted to go on a fly fishing and backpacking trip. Excuse me. And we went to school at the University of Texas at Austin, so we figured out the closest place that we could kind of reasonably go was going to be northern New Mexico. And so we we knew we had our fly fishing gear. We didn't really know. I don't know if any of us had actually caught a fish on a fly before, but we were going to make this trip happen. And so we set off on this road trip. Now, the thing you need to know is that it was March 10th, I think about when we left. All five of us, 21-year-old males, had grown up in Texas and spent almost our entire life there. There was not even a winter week amongst us um, on this in this group. And so it had not occurred to us to think about the weather of the place that we were going. And so as we headed up to the mountains north of Santa Fe, we realized pretty quickly that we were not gonna be hiking on this trail. And so we got out our map, because a map was that thing that you had to use back in the day, to, to that piece of paper to figure out how to get from point A to point B. And so we got out our map, and we said, where, how can we get to another place to do this trip to go fly fishing? Well, uh, I think we have an image of kind of, it doesn't matter the particulars, but what you can see is where we were on one side, where we needed to go, and the only route we could find made a giant U that we had to go. We thought this was going to take us like most of a day. This is is really going to mess our trip up. This is a giant detour. And one of the guys says, hey, hey, there's a little line that cuts right between the two points. I bet we can take that. That'll be a shortcut. And so that's what we did. Now, if we had been a little bit older and wiser to how this worked, or if we had been able to zoom in a little bit, we would have figured out that, that what looked like a straight line to us on the map had a bunch of really jagged, small little lines for all the switchbacks on the mountain road that we were about to take. But we didn't know that, and so we set, it off, set off on our journey. Well, um, on, on the way, we, it was probably after we passed not the first, but the second road closed for winter signs, that we began to realize... This might be a difficult trip. This might not have been the route we should have taken. And, uh, you know, winter, isn't it over by March anyway? That's what we thought. So uh, this should should be fine. Um, So as we pressed on, we spent the next two and a half hours just fist clenched, holding on, teeth clenched, trying to grit it out in a two-wheel drive suburban across snowy and slushy mountain roads that kept cutting this way and that. I don't think we spoke a word to each other the whole trip pretty much. Well, on the end, at the end of the road, at the end of our journey, we pull out off of this road and there's a road construction crew. And they look at us as if like we have just appeared from outer space they do not understand how we came out of that road that's been closed for three months. And we're cheering and screaming and so excited that we've made it. Our shortcut had, had, had lost us about an hour and a half. Um, ultimately, this path that we thought was going to be better for us was going to get us on the way that we wanted might have been a lot worse than we had expected. It didn't quite work out that way. Well, maybe you haven't had a road trip like that, but maybe you've had an experience of thinking that you found a better way, and it turned out to not be like that. Well, this morning, we're going to continue our linen series of studying the I Am statements of Jesus, the places in the Gospel of John where Jesus tells us who he is and what it is like for us to know him and follow him. And he uses these earthy, everyday images. It's, it's almost as if, um, and this is the thing I love about Jesus, he doesn't make it too complicated. He uses the things that we experience in everyday life as, as lenses for seeing who he is and what life with him is like. So we, we started with Jesus as the bread of life, that in a world where so many things promise that they can sustain us, Jesus is really the only one Who can fully nourish us. That he's the light of the world, that when it feels like there is darkness in our world and over our life, Jesus brings the light of his rescue into our lives. That he is the gate, that Jesus invites us to enter his gate, that we might experience the freedom and protection of his enclosure. That Jesus is the good shepherd, that he calls us by name, he knows us, And he not only cares and protects for us, but he even lays down his life for his sheep. And then Jesus is, last week we heard, the true vine. Jesus is the one who nourishes and sustains us as as we make our home with him. Well, in a world full of many other paths that claim to lead to better destinations and a world that has many paths that, that look like shortcuts to a better life, Jesus tells us, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That as we look to try to navigate this life and all its troubles, Jesus is the one who can safely guide us home. Jesus is the one who guides us on the path to the true life that's found with him. So let's read uh, from John 14, our passage this morning. So Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Well, Jesus and his disciples are having their last supper as, as we kind of encounter this conversation that they're having. Um, that would have been on Thursday night of Holy Week, um, and all of that week, there had kind of been pressure building up. Every day's events had, had kind of built and built and built until that night, and the next day, it would kind of explode. Over, over dinner, Jesus has dropped a few pieces of jaw-dropping news on his disciples. Um, it, they knew that as they came to Jerusalem, things would happen, but they didn't expect kind of what ultimately would take place. Jesus says that one of his disciples is going to betray him. And we know, we're, we're the readers in this, so we, we, we know it's Judas, but for the disciples gathered around that table, they had this feeling of, well, is, he, is it going to be me? Could it be me? Maybe it's me. And I don't know that it's going to be me. So they're feeling that sense of fear and doubting of themselves. Jesus reveals that one of his closest friends and disciples, Peter, is going to betray him or going to deny him that night three times. And then probably most distressing of all, Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to be going away. If you were to put yourself in the room with the disciples, it would have felt like your whole world was crashing down because it really was. What was going to happen to Jesus? What was going to be their way to the future? Well, there was this they were experiencing profound uncertainty about where their lives were headed and, what, um, and how they should live in the midst of it. And I think this is kind of similar to what maybe some of us are feeling right now in our world. Um, if you look around... Um, we've got war in Ukraine. Um, Inflation is rising. There's continued political division. And oh yeah, there's that thing called COVID that's kind of looming out there in the background that we think we're past and we hope we're past, but we just don't know. And it can leave you wondering, is the world going in a good place? What's what's it going to look like for me and for the people I care about in the next few years? But maybe even, maybe it's, not just the big world events, though, that, that kind of cause our hearts to be troubled. It's even just the personal things that maybe those only us and those close to us know about. That it's, it's about relationships that are difficult. It's about health that are, that's declining. Finances that feel like they're tightening. Decisions that need to be made. And we ask, Jesus, what's ahead for me? Jesus, how am I going to get through this? Jesus gives us an answer um, in two parts. First, Jesus says that he's going to prepare a place for his disciples in his father's house. That in this moment of great uncertainty for his disciples, Jesus says that their ultimate destiny and future is going to be secure. He's taking them home. Um, I think a lot of us know what it means um, to, to feel secure at home, but I was reminded of one of the first memorial services I did was for a man who was a home remodeler and home builder. And I remember in talking to his family, the thing that they shared with me was how meaningful that connection between the, the, the client that he worked for and getting to see their joy and, and just their, their hope in the finished product, how life-giving that was for him. More than anything else, that was the reason he did it. And so the family said, I, I, they wanted John 14, this passage, to be the passage at his memorial service. And maybe you're picking up a little bit quicker than I did, but it wasn't until I was kind of deep into study that I, I had this realization. Oh, well, this, is, this is the perfect passage for Ken. Ken, this master you know, remodeler and builder, he, he's on the flip side of this now. He's been the one who is doing the building and now he's getting to experience being built for. Jesus has prepared a place. And for the family, that was this source of immense comfort. In that moment, that Jesus cared for this person that they loved and had meant so much in their life. And friends, that's true for each of us as well. That feeling in all of this of longing for home is meant to point us to the home that we're gonna have with God. And the hope here is not that we're gonna have this lavish, um, uh, giant house when we get to heaven. I know that some of your Bible translations might use the word mansions. Um, and, and maybe, that's, maybe that sounds pretty nice. You know, you're like, I, I, could, I could stand a little more square footage. Um, but that, that mansions is, is often a translation of an older English word that we don't really use it that way anymore. It gets used for like a giant house. Um, but really what it's saying is that this is gonna be a house um, with, 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 a, with ample room, that there's gonna be a room set aside for you. But the important thing isn't the size or the, the lavishness of it, it's who's there with us. It's who we're with, that we're going to be with Jesus in his father's house, that our great hope is that we will be with him, and that in that we're going to get to experience the security and the joy and the peace that, we're, that we can find only in God and in his home. Well, as Jesus talks to his disciples, they're maybe excited about what they're hearing and, and hopeful, but there is an obvious question. And Any group of people, you need that person who's willing to say, uh, "I I will say the thing that other people are not willing to say out loud," because sometimes it just needs to be asked or said. In the in the disciples, that person was Thomas. Um, Thomas got the unfortunate nickname of Doubting Thomas. But I just I I love Thomas. I resonate with Thomas, and I think maybe a lot of us, as we read the Bible, do. So Thomas says the thing that he's like, "I guess I'm just going to be the guy who asked the dumb question," but Jesus. We don't know what you're talking about or where you're talking about going. Could you spell it out a little bit better for us? And in the midst of this, here's, you know, Jesus says, he says, I'm the only way to the father. Jesus says he's the only way to his father. And this is one of those well-known but really difficult sayings of Jesus, It's a saying that maybe causes us to feel a little bit uncomfortable or to have a lot of questions in our mind. Um, And those are things that are really valid and worth exploring. And I had to, as I thought about this passage and about uh, this morning's message, I had to admit, honestly, a lot of times this verse and this passage has been used as a proof text to win arguments. And it's not been used as the invitation to true life that I think Jesus wants it to be. And so I hope today, as you hear this, it, yes, it's a hard saying of Jesus, but yes, even more, it's some—it's a truth that Jesus wants us to know about where we find life. A few weeks ago, Emily preached on John 10, which is another kind of passage that uh, that had to do with this, related to "I am Jesus," saying, "I am the gate." That only those who enter through Him as the gate can experience the freedom and protection of His enclosure. And I love the image that she used. She said, there are lots of other gates in our world. There are lots of other things that claim that they're gonna offer the same security and protection. But what we find over time is that, over experience, is that they're really cages. They offer life, but all they provide is being restricted and and, and, and they don't offer the freedom that we get in Jesus. If we want the life that Jesus offers, There's no other route or shortcut to get it. Uh, Pastor Eugene Peterson is a writer that um, I really have have learned a lot from over the years. And he wrote extensively about this I Am statement in a book called um, The Jesus Way. And he says in this, he says, only when we do the Jesus truth in the Jesus way do we get the Jesus life. And we have to admit that so often we want the benefits of life with Jesus without the Jesus way, and without the Jesus truth. Today we're celebrating Palm Sunday. I know some of you thought that this was uh, on the liturgical calendar, Master Sunday. That is actually not an official church holiday. Um, we don't wave azalea branches, they're palm branches. Um, palm Sunday was, is the Sunday in the story of Jesus before the Resurrection Sunday. And if you think about it, you go um, in one week from pretty crazy extremes Palm Sunday people are waving palm branches celebrating the king entering on a donkey and and welcoming his rule and reign and then on Friday they're yelling and they're they're cheering for him to be executed and put to death on the cross how do we get from one from Sunday to Friday well, the people came to see that the kingdom Jesus came to bring wasn't going to look like what they wanted. They hoped for a king who would come and overthrow the rulers that they didn't like a whole lot, the Romans. And Jesus came instead to bring, to bring about a kingdom, not through power, but by his own death. And the people didn't like that very much. And they, they decided, we want the kingdom without the king. They had their own destination in mind and their own way of getting there. And Jesus instead, he says, no, I'm the way. And he himself has made a way for us by his cross. That by his death and resurrection, Jesus has secured our way to the father. And he's lovingly inviting us to experience, to to receive the goodness of his life with him as we follow his way. So how do we walk on Jesus' way? As I, after moving here last summer, um, part of moving a new place is learning to get your, you know, get around and get oriented. And so at first I had to put every place that I went into my phone and follow the directions. And after about a week, I could get from my home to the church and, and back again on my own. I didn't need the directions. And then I could find my way to certain stores and certain places, and it certainly helps that Minneapolis has like numbered streets one direction and alphabetical streets the other. I've never been to, lived in a place with so many X-named streets. Um, really scraping the bottom of the barrel with some of them, by the way. Um, not many options. I'm looking for Xylophone Avenue somewhere. Well... Over time, I realized, you know, I don't really need these directions anymore. But out of habit, I was still plugging it in. And what I would do is I would mute the volume. So I'd leave the directions on, but I'd have the volume turned off, knowing that if I really got into a bind, if I hit one of those roundabouts where I just didn't know where to get off, I could look at my, GP, you know, my GPS and get off. But otherwise, I could just go about my own route on my own. And as I kind of thought about it this week, I thought, that's a lot of how I relate to Jesus. I, I, uh, I wanna be able to plug in my destination with him, but I don't really wanna have to check in on the guidance very often. I want the volume to be turned down and only there if I really need it. And uh, when things are going well and I know what's ahead of me, I, I, you know, I just cruise, cruise about my life and have cruise control. But when I hit that traffic jam or I hit that obstacle, Along my way, I need to tune in and I pay attention. Friends, independence is a good goal for driving, for knowing your way around where you live. But independence is not the goal at all for us as followers of Christ. Jesus wants us to depend on Him for every step of the journey. It's not about finding a way to get on cruise control. It's about, it's about depending each and every day on what he has for us. The destination for us is dependence. It's not about finding some place without him. So as, I, as we think about this and how you might be needing to live this out, I started to think about other ways that we might get detoured on the way of Jesus. And so maybe some of these will resonate with you as well. Maybe for some of us, it's just starting today with saying, Jesus, show me the ways show me today what it means to live in your way. A simple prayer that just says that you're attentive to what Jesus might be doing in you and around you, and you wanna be on his way with him. Because I've, I've found in my life um, that there's a lot of things that vie for my attention, a lot of things that I give my attention to, if I'm just gonna be really honest. It's not that it's, uh, I'm willingly giving my attention over. Anybody remember, maybe TV still does this, I can't remember how this all happens now, but it used to be that on commercial breaks, the volume got increased on shows, and you'd be like, who turned this up? It's so loud. It was a way of commercials getting your attention in the moment and wanting you to say, scream at you, hey, buy our product. Well, that's the way kind of everything around us operates. So I found that it's not hard for me to remember in the morning to do my Wordle, It's not hard for me at the end of my day, I do a little Duolingo practice on Spanish. Today's gonna be day 900, so I'm pretty, I'm excited. Um, It's not hard for me to remember to check social media to hear what's going on in the world, but there are not very many things in my life unless I've intentionally put them there that are gonna be pushing me to think more about what it means to live on the way of Jesus. Not much is pointing my attention in that direction. Well, uh, one of the other things that I think we've all experienced over the last two years has been the distance that's been created in our life from community. So community was already something that could be really hard to find, to find people that you felt like knew you and cared about you and helped you, point you into the way of Jesus. But as we've been separated in a lot of ways, as rhythms of life have been changed, that's kind of even harder, hasn't it? And I'll just acknowledge that a lot of times, the first time you meet somebody or spend time with them, it can feel like just, there's a lot of small talk and it can feel like hard and how am I gonna break through and am I really gonna get to know them? And what I've found is like we, we, we expect it just to be natural, that relationships would just easily develop. Um, and maybe that's your experience, maybe I'm just the socially awkward one. Um, but I have a feeling it's not just me. And what, I've, what, I, what I would encourage you in As I look around this room and I think as you think about your life, um, what would it look like for you to take steps towards other people who might encourage you in the way of Jesus? So I think for a lot of us, maybe that first step might just be wanting to show up next week and show up the week after that to worship. I know the next week's Easter. That's an easy one, right? But uh, to just show back up and say, you know what? It may not feel natural right away. It may not be the thing that I'm used to doing on my Sunday morning, but I know that I need Jesus' way in me, his truth in me, so that I might live in the life of Jesus each and every day and help me find that. Eugene Peterson, again, one more time, because he's so good. He says, we can't live a life more like Jesus by embracing a way of life less like Jesus. Well, a few weeks ago, our family was coming back from a spring break road trip. We've done a few of these since we've lived in Minnesota to different locations. And as we've done that, I've kind of gotten to the point where I recognize a few markers as we get close to the cities. Kind of get a sense that, okay, the trip's almost done. It's been a long trip. I'm ready to be home. And maybe you have that experience too on a a road trip or even on just your daily commute. You're like, if I can just get to my street And when I round the corner onto my street, I know that I'm almost there. Or maybe if you're a runner or a biker, as you get to that last, over the last hill, you know that you can pretty much taste what it's like to be home. We have a term for that, don't we? It's called the home stretch. Once we reach the home stretch, it's like we can relax a little bit. It's like we all of a sudden can feel at peace. And it's like we've got one step already, one foot already there. Maybe you have memories as a child of, of what it was like when you, when you uh, were growing up to go to grandma's house, knowing that as soon as you pulled in the driveway, there was going to be a meal waiting for you on the table. Maybe it's what it's like now when you go home and you know that a, a loved one is going to be there re- looking for your headlights in the driveway, ready to give you a hug. Well, when we live in the way of Jesus, that's how every moment of the journey is meant to feel. It's all meant to be homestretch. Homestretch is the feeling of being on Jesus' path, being guided by him. It's a sense of we're not there yet, but, but we can taste it. We can know that it's coming. And I realize for some of you today, you're not feeling a sense of peace and joy on that journey. You're feeling the disappointment and the troubled hearts and anxiety that comes with that. And I think Jesus' words are especially for you today you might believe in God, believe also in Jesus. Yes, there will be moments of disappointment and uncertainty and pain on that journey, but we know that Jesus is with us and that Jesus is taking us home to the Father on his way. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you this morning for reminders and even just a glimpse as we worship together and as we hear these words from your uh, from your word together about what it looks like to find our home in you, to live on your path and to journey with you. Jesus, I pray for the ways that we might be experiencing right now, feeling like we're, we're a long way off from your road, that for those here today, they might feel a sense of being drawn in by your invitation of the life that's found in you. I pray, Jesus, that we might today Remember that you have made a way for us. Pray this in your name. Amen.